0: What's up everybody, welcome back to another episode of Coast to Coast, I'm Ronan Gain, joining me as always is Christian Nambu, we also got a, an old friend of the podcast, Tim Thornquist joined us to talk some Boston Celtics, Ooh. we had to we had to do it, especially after last night's win, obviously they're the, the best team in basketball at the moment, but getting right into it, that win against the Suns, Tim, how how, go- how good did that feel last night?
1: Well, you know, it was a true test and that's what the Celtics continue to do is they continue to prove any doubters wrong. And, you know, they're the number one seed in the East up against the number one seed in the West at the time, because now the Pelicans are, are up there, but they, completely, dis- Pelicans, yep. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they completely dismantled um, a team that has been dominating the regular season the past couple of years and they did it convincingly. And. Everything was gelling and everything about this team. It's just good vibes all around. And, uh, you know, I compare it to last year. Last year, if they go into Phoenix at, at 10 p.m. Eastern time, they get absolutely blown out or it's not a game. And, and you know, this year was the complete polar opposite. And it's just, uh, you know, it's, it's everything that this team has been striving for over the past eight 12 months and it's been pretty exciting and it's just, you know, it's, it's no surprise at this point, but I looking forward to the next game against the warriors because, you know, we got a, we got a bone to pick with them.
2: <laughs> I I really, I want to like talk about this game specifically, not just the end result. The end result is pretty obvious. It's like they absolutely ran the Suns out of their home building. They made a big point on ESPN national media to just show how good they were. Um, But I thought it was great to see how resilient they were in the first quarter. And that, to me, shows a lot because Chris Paul looks great in the minutes that he was playing in that first quarter, running pick and roll. And it just looked like at times like the Celtics defense didn't have an answer for the pick and roll. And then Chris Paul goes to the bench and Celtics just get rolling. And like there's just this never ending barrage. And does it does it feel different this year? Because I feel like the, the Celtics this year, it's not like in bursts. It's just all game long, the way that they move the ball on the floor, the way that they are able to find any shooters open, the way that they play for each other. It just feels like they're constantly trying to pull away. It's not just in bunches.
1: Yeah, it's it's been consistent all year. Obviously, they've had a few bad games. And uh, the, the main difference is the addition of Malcolm Brogdon coming off the bench. This team is the most well-rounded team that I've ever seen in my lifetime. Obviously, the 2008 Celtics are a team that's up there, but I was only 13, 14 at the time, so I didn't follow basketball as much as I am now. This team, the main difference is guys like Malcolm Brogdon coming off the bench. He's a legitimate starting point guard, starting guard, however you want to phrase it. He's coming off the bench. So this team has the reigning defensive player of the year in Marcus Smart. They have a legitimate MVP caliber player in Jason Tatum, who is certainly playing like it. They have an all NBA player alongside in Jalen Brown and they have a six man that he, I don't see why Brogdon can't win the six man of the year. And so when the first unit is as powerful as they are, and then you bring in someone like Malcolm Brogdon, that's where the consistency feels as consistent as possible because you have somebody who is elite and knows what they're doing and could easily come in and be a starting point guard in 99, pretty much hundred percent of all teams. So that's uh, the biggest difference is their their backcourt when in when they're healthy. It's flip in Rob Williams and you have Derek White, and Malcolm Brogdon leading the second unit. Those two guards can easily be starting guards on most teams in the NBA. And so that's why this team feels so consistent because they're they It's yeah. it's as deep as they've ever been.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I yeah, know it's really it's really impressive. I think Brogdon's obviously the main one you think about the the gravity. It when, when the, the Celtics made that move, it just felt like a power move. They showed they flexed their muscle and they went out and got him. And he's a guy that you could easily be a second or third star on a lot of teams in the NBA. But the Celtics yeah. have him coming off the bench so consistent, averaging 14-4-4 obviously shooting great he's, he's been a 50 40 90 guy before so he's going to be really about to be efficient. a
2: 50 50 90 guy <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah I mean, yeah
0: that. <laughs> unbelievable but I mean when you when you have that sort of power coming in off the bench it's something that they they didn't have last year obviously you didn't know it notice it as much with the way they work the rotations you kind of usually have one of Brown or Tatum on the floor anyway so you wouldn't notice it as much but the impact that he is uh that he's making so far shows that they were missing that piece and that it was good to see the the front office on their toes they they spotted that little bit of a gap and they went to, and, and made that move as soon as they possibly could
1: yeah no credit to brad stevens he's hit on all cylinders for every moves that he's made and really just the addition of Derek white and malcolm brogdon to this team is exactly what they needed consistent point guards that can score the ball and play great defense and so it's credit to him all around with uh, bringing in the right pieces because to your point, Ronan, that's exactly what they were missing in the NBA Finals. And now they have someone coming off the bench that could legitimately be a second or third star on most teams. It's just, uh, yeah, they're flexing their muscles and they're a powerhouse. They're an absolute wagon right now.
2: I feel like the the cool thing about adding Brogdon was not just like his, his overall talent, but how well he meshes with what the team wants to do. And he he does basically what they want from Derek White at an elite level and more consistently and I can't really think of another team in the league that has this much like like repetition like no matter who's coming out onto the court they have such similar tools that they can constantly be playing the same way that they're not losing if someone gets hurt or if maybe someone's having an off game the next man up mentality is there in a in a way that it's not just the mentality but it's about their talent too like if White's not having the game, you got Brogdon. And I think, too, big credit. I, w- I want to give it to Marcus Smart. I mean, how do you feel like he's played this season? Because I feel like he's had a significant impact, not just with his defense, but how he's decided to play as a playmaker this season compared to the last few seasons.
1: Yeah, it's noticeable with, just by watching the games, uh, his his assist totals and everything, he's very, he's, he's shown over the past year plus, but specifically this season that, he can really pass the ball. And when you have playmaker, when you have scorers like Tatum and Brown, you need somebody that can be a true facilitator. And Smart is kind of stepping into that role. I've, I've noticed that he's not you know, throwing up a bunch of shots. He's really playing into his role. I think he, he loves the fact that he was Defensive Player of the Year. And now he wants to translate that into the offense. And he understands that Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum can take you to 30 points per night. And then you have a guy like Brogdon who can come off the bench and give you 15, 20 points any given night. So his game has been it's – it's been refreshing because in, in years past, you've been – I felt pretty frustrated at times because he throws up a lot of circus threes, tough shots. You, you don't quite know if he knows his role. It's solidified that I feel like he knows his role. He's a defensive-minded player, but also he can be a great playmaker that this team desperately needs. And as long as he's doing that, then he's the perfect fit uh, as the starting point guard.
2: Yeah. The the shot selection is so huge. And just taking down those bad shots and looking for the best shot. I mean, there's a reason. We'll get into the stats eventually here. But like, there's a reason why the Celtics are the best offense in the league by a margin. And I'd argue that this is the best three-point shooting. And I I don't think there's a big argument against it. If this is how they're going to play for the rest of the season, this is going to be the best shooting team in – Probably league history. Like you you go back 20 years, you're not gonna find a team that's shooting at the volume that they're shooting at at the at this efficiency, not even close. Um and Marcus Smart just taking smarter shots and being such a good connector. I mean, there are a lot of times where um there's we talked last year about compounding effects of Jalen Brown. Wanting to take mid range shots, Jason Tatum wanting to take a lot of fadeaways, both those guys trying to figure out what their individual games were like. And then Marcus Smart wanting to do the same thing um, with his shot from the three point line. And for him to this year be so much more of a connecting piece to get other guys involved. I mean, that's what's empowered all these shooters on this team. Um, and it's great. I mean, these guys, dude, like Sam Sam Hauser being a leaf three point shooter and Al Horford still being just an absolute flamethrower. Like I it was like every single week at the end of the season last year, I was like, all right, this is going to fall off eventually, but it it just hasn't. So I I don't know. I guess this is just, this is just Al Horford now. And uh, I guess Blake Griffin also apparently is an elite three point shooter on this team, but everyone gets open looks because of guys like Marcus Smart who are making that sort of pass um, and screening for each other. I mean, these guards screen for each other. They're not, they're not just, they're threats in so many different ways, which I think is, is just a testament to, to missoula and like what how this team is able to to play for each other i mean they're saying that pin, that pin down screens for each other they're running off screens they're able to do just everything i think this is this is probably the most in sync team the league right now
1: yeah i agree 100 they believe in each other It it's it shows and just the fact that everyone knows their roles it's it's playing out exactly how it should and they got all the right pieces for it to come together the way that they're coming together and and it comes down to everybody just knowing their roles, so spot on with that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Before Before we get a bit more into into Boston and the and the stats, uh, you could arguably question their their rotation of bigs. Is some some element obviously we know Robert Williams is still to come back, but at the same time Robert Williams is a guy that you really have to kind of wrap in cotton wool and just kind of hope for the best. He has he's had his injury problems, so. Should the Boston Celtics be having a look at Jacob Hodel? Should should oh. they be interested in making that that trade? I know the, the Spurs are obviously they're asking for two first rounders, but that may be a bit much, but is that someone who should be on the on the watch list for Boston?
1: So that was that was a name that I think I might have even texted you, uh, Nambu, about, and it seemed like it would be a perfect fit because the first five to six or seven games, that was my biggest concern with this team was rebounding, and they need somebody that can be an elite rebounder, especially with Time Lord being out and being as fragile as you alluded to. But honestly, the surprising emergence of Luke Cornett, I'm I'm ready to ride that <laughs> for the rest of the year. Uh, he's he's shown himself that he can be. Uh, a viable backup especially come in when players are down and also blake griffin he he's a veteran that's come in and he knows what he can do he can play his role i don't think the celtics need to make that trade because they're they're thriving and without horford and time lord and then having somebody like luke cornett or blake griffin and even noah the the team feels like they don't need to add anything they don't need to subtract anything and Although the name sounded great in the first two, three weeks of the season from the past 20 games, uh, as a Celtics fan, I don't see why we would make any move. This team is, is really thriving and, you know, they're going to get time Lord back in, in about two weeks. And I would say push them back to even two more weeks, give them two more weeks to recover. But I wouldn't do that, but it was something that I thought about running. (laughs)
0: Yeah, Yeah, I I think that's fair.
2: (laughs) I would say, I would say no. And I, and I would say, and I think this will transition when we'll talk about Rob a little bit, but I don't want anybody on this team that's going to take away from the kind of spacing that they've created here. Um, With with the five-out spacing, with, with the amount of perimeter movement that they've had. I mean, like, shout-out to Grant Williams here, too. Like, dude is like a wing this year. Plays like a wing. Put the ball on the floor. Not just not just play make after he's attacking closeouts, but actually finishing at the rim. And taking step back threes, like I, I have not looked up uh, uh I need to check the, the tracking on, on his step back threes, but this dude has just been unreal. But having five guys out there that can do that from the perimeter is huge. And I wouldn't want a guy like Pirtle out there who's um, a bit more of a lumbering big. I, I don't know how much how much switching you can do. I think the Celtics are so good when they're able to switch um, one through five. And I don't know how much repetition you need once you get once you get Rob back. And for, for the rebounding too. I mean, I had the same concern about defensive rebounding, but we're going to keep up. We could bring up Brogdon in literally every category that we're, we were worried about Celtics and he's contributed there. Like their guards, especially Brogdon are such good rebounds. How many times have you seen Brogdon just fly in from the weak side and just grab an offensive board? How many times you see Derek white fight for boards? Like all these guards are hungry for boards. Tatum's a good rebounder. Um, I think they're, they'll be fine without that. Um, but when Tyler comes back, I mean, how do you how do you figure he fits into this offense? Cuz so you just talked about like how how repetitive in a good way their offensive system is no matter who's on the floor. How do you how do you slot him in and, and get him involved in a way that doesn't kind of mess with what they're doing right now?
1: Well, you know, obviously when they bring him in, slowly but surely ramp him up. You know, I'm talking really low minutes, like 10 minutes a night nice <laughs> yeah. in the first couple of weeks or so. Um, but just by having him out there, he's a lob threat that's going to force the defense to be aware of that, which is going to open up more shot shot making. And his, his perimeter defense is not bad. He's an elite defender, and I don't see it really skipping a beat. And I just think with the offensive power that this team has, as you even mentioned with Grant Williams, his shot has been excellent last year, and it's turned even better this year. And so with someone like Time Lord, when you're having someone like Al Horford that is still thriving at his age and everything that's going on around him, I don't see that that's stagnating any offense. And it's only going to empower it to be more respectable down low because you have that blob threat. And someone like Marcus Smart, who is an elite passer, is going to get him that those opportunities. And it's going to force a defense to um, you know, be respectful on all faces, which is just a dangerous game for any team.
2: Yeah. That, that's I agree with that. I think there, there's not really been a real a real vertical threat on the Celtics. I mean, Luke Cornet's probably their best vertical threat right now, and that's not really saying a lot. How many lobs have we seen this season? Uh, so I really hope that the health is there because I think they really need that. That really completes them offensively. They can find a way to incorporate that. And, in fact, that, I mean, I don't see how that doesn't even create more open looks with his gravity rolling to the rim. Um, being in the dunker spot, how much that's going to force defenses to um, respect him inside and Missoula. I I think Ronan wants to talk to Missoula because like that I have faith in in the adjustments he can make. You know, obviously a lot of credit is going to go towards the coach if the team is playing well. And this is a team that was together last year. You can argue continuity, but I I'd say that there's there's a lot to be said for for how how well this team is playing and, and how it looks. The product looks different offensively and I think credit's definitely got to go to him for that
0: yeah I mean like obviously the the way the situation played out with everything that happened with Yudoka and then he's he's suspended for the year and then you're you're gonna bring in a a guy that was on his his coaching team and then is Yudoka just gonna come back in then next year no 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 problem like like nothing, nothing ever happened like what what way do you judge what this new coach does, based off what uh, obviously what yodoka did last year and the, everything that he brought to this team? He he brought them to a different level than they were at with, under Brad Stevens, which was obviously still a, a good level, but not at that elite level that they needed to get. And now it feels like they've taken another step this year. So like, where did the front office? How, what way do they judge on whether or not to continue in Missoula or they just did they just bring back Udoka next year what what do you what do you think on, on that side of it
1: well they absolutely should not bring back Udoka um given <laughs> the circumstances yeah. but also in Missoula he deserves to be the head coach any anytime you bring a team up to 21 and five after last year you know he has proven himself there's been times where um, I don't like that sometimes he doesn't call timeouts when it's a good timeout situation. He also, in certain situations, leaves too many players out when they should bring them back to the bench and give them more rest. So that's something that I expect to be cleaned up. But from a front office perspective, you got to look at the guy and, and see everything that, that transpired with Udoka in that situation. And immediately when that happened, I thought to myself, well, we're, we're, we're going to be right back to where it was at the beginning of last year and things might not gel as well as they were. And in fact, they've gotten even better. And so there has to be credit to the coach for keeping things as gelled as they are. And definitely do not bring back Udoka. And I think Mazul deserves the head coaching job. And um, just because of the job he's been doing, there's obviously some growing pains with a first-time interim head coach. But with the team that he has around him, he's destined for success. And I wouldn't mess with it, especially with uh, the way that this team is looking.
2: Yeah, I mean, if if growing pains is being, like, by far the best team in the NBA, like, I'll take that 100 times out of 100. But I think it'd be very different. Like, it'd be very different if Jason Tatum was having an MVP season and he's just, like, like doing it all on his own. But right. you, you can see from a system point of view, like, what the the Celtics are trying to achieve as a team. And I think that that's why, you know, I mentioned uh, earlier today about – how the Celtics mood is is very appropriate for what they're trying to do this season. Like they're, they're never too high on their success. I mean, the the fact that Missoula is talking about open shots missed um, after just absolutely blowing out the Suns team, uh, talking about something like that and adjustments that they need to make because of that, like that, that is a locked in team that's focused on the process that's focused on getting better in every little way. And that's the type of team that's going to be, in the finals. And that's the type of coach that's really influencing a locker room to stay focused in on that. So I, I think uh, you have to keep Azula around just because of what, what he's done here. There's no reason to, to shake it up. And I think the, you see that very commonly with, with young coaches, with, with new coaches, like leaving guys in and getting a little too much burn. But yep. yeah, I think the timeouts thing, it, they've, they've played at such a the better pace. I, I feel like a lot of times they're just trying to, they they're trying to keep the pressure on they're trying to to maintain pace but it's it'll be it'll be interesting cuz playoff time that's that's the biggest point in time where you need to be smart with your timeouts you need to be smart with the flow of the game and when to give your guys rest or not
0: and that's also when we find out if they're no, if they're not just another Phoenix Suns team you know the, the suns did this last <laughs> year too if we don't let's not uh let's not let's not forget about uh, about that element of it either but uh, we won't we won't get too far uh, too far ahead of ourselves on that on that one, I don't think. But uh, uh, let's just we got to talk a bit about the 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 lead two guys. I mean, Tatum and Brown. A lot of people talking about them as the the best duo in the league, and they're they're not far off, I think, for sure. Jalen Brown, for me, he's the best number two in the league. Especially when you look at it, just as obviously, if there's teams where the the number two isn't like. Identified? do you think of like a leBron AD or a KD Kyrie sort of thing? It's not like a hundred percent uh he's the number one he's the number two you look more like when you think of guys like Moranton Bain or or Trey Young DeJounte Murray that sort of thing where you know it's this guy's team he's the he's the second scar. Maybe within the team they believe they're on a level playing ground but obviously the media the outside you're always gonna think it's this guy's team He's playing the number two. I don't think there's anyone better than Jalen Brown. And the way he's playing this year, outstanding. All, all NBA level, no doubt.
1: Yeah, uh, you could you could also reference Giannis and Middleton. Um, but Jalen Brown exceeds Middleton by far. And it seems like each and every year, Tatum and Brown continue to get better and they continue to push each other to be better. And I, I couldn't agree more with what you just said, Ronan, that there isn't a better number two. And Jalen Brown, he's not just an all-star, he's an all-NBA player. And uh, this is going to give him the most opportunity to make the most money with Boston, which means that there should be no reason why they don't lock Tatum and Brown up for the next five years. And all of a sudden, we've dealt with a stretch of almost 10 years of them dominating in Boston sports, and hopefully they continue to get better, and they're both very young. And um, you can notice uh, Jalen Brown's offensive skills are just – they're skyrocketing each and every year and it's been a joy to see because when he first came into the league he wasn't much of a scorer he he didn't shoot the ball that much all that well now when he puts up he puts up threes it's a real good shot of it going in and um yeah they look really good together it's been it's been awesome because about this time last year it was the biggest concern was should they break this up should they trade jalen brown because he had the most trade value should they trade Marcus smart and they've stuck through with it and They've been thriving. It's been it's been a joy to watch.
2: Yeah, I love that you brought up the, the beginning part of his career because that really got me thinking about my initial impressions of him as a player. Um, and it's always good it's always good for people to admit they're wrong about about players because I mean all these guys have so much talent and there's there's so many factors going into why they develop or don't develop in the way that they do. And Jalen Brown is just like the the poster child of like a blank slate high talent wing athlete who he, like, there's always guys like that every single draft where it's like, oh, if only you could give him ball skills and, and better IQ and like shooting. And like every year he just put it together little by little. And to the point where now you're talking about him as an all NBA guy. I mean, he's a guy who literally like did not have a bag. He did not have, he did not have dribble skills. He did not have a shot. Like he was a very high level athlete and just a raw defender but now, like you look at him as legitimate defensive stopper. And for, for wing stoppers, how often are you going to see guys who are also going to be able to get to the mid-range and really like go into ISO? You can put him in pick and roll situations. You can play him off the ball. Like he's such a underrated, versatile uh, offensive threat. And it and I, I love you brought it out to you, because like when when you when you talk about these teams like and the media, we love to think like uh we as a four brothers, but fans and media love to think about like who is the number one guy, number two guy? But these guys, like the mentality that they've had, it's it's been always always the best. They've always talked about each other as equals. They've, it's never been this feeling of like it's anybody's team. Um, but yeah, crazy to see where Jalen Brown is at right now. Like you saw it from Tatum, like Tatum's obviously that blue chip talent, and like he was supposed to be where he's at now, right now. Like you you wanted him to be a dominant, like top ten player, and you're happy that he got here. But Jalen Brown, for him to to build brick by brick. Into the player that he is now, it's it's so impressive, and that that contract, it's it's going to be interesting the next couple of years. Like obviously you have the team, like this is this is the tough part is getting the guys on the team, and the Celtics have done such an unbelievable job, you know, finding the right trades, finding the right guys, uh, to draft the right stars. But Grant Williams coming up next year, like that's going to be a huge signing, and then Jalen Brown the following year. Like it's gonna be interesting to see how, how Brad figures this one out, because I mean they are going to be like super deep in the tax, or maybe they're gonna to have to make a couple other moves to to fit everybody on this team. Because Grant Williams is absolutely going to demand. I mean, what, what do you what do you think is gonna he's gonna demand per year?
1: Like, yeah, he's gonna be. I have, it's it's a it's gonna be around twenty million. Yeah, uh, I for agree. Sure, with the way that he he is on the defensive end. And the way his three-pointer shot looks, because anytime he does a pump fake and he takes a step oh to the God, right or yeah. to the left, he's making it more often than not. And so that is the most valuable shot that any NBA player can have, and especially someone who can play the four, also sometimes the five, if they're going with a small lineup. I see him commanding no less than twenty million.
2: Yeah, i I was going to say like anyone, like no one can say less than twenty. Like, and I and I'd be. I'd be shocked if a team like the Rockets, for example, like they, they are going to have the number one um, uh, calf space and having a guy like Grant Williams and a team like that, that's trying to, to be competitive. That's trying to learn how to win. Like they're going to throw a ton of money at Grant's way. Um, right. Now And I'm trying to, so if are on one dribble, you shoot in 50% from three on this side. Really?
1: Self. That's insane. <laughs> You know, Enjoy. I was gonna say it feels like that, but you know that's a that's a great stat, and that's something that's gonna get you paid.
2: <laughs> that is that's insane, right, and,
0: right, and rightfully so. I mean, they they you gotta players are out there trying. To, obviously, they try to play for these big contracts. Maybe maybe Grant Williams is never gonna be a a max contract guy or a super max guy, but that doesn't mean he can't. He's not gonna demand a big a big payday when his uh, when his contract comes comes up and the Celtics would be yeah they'd be brave if they they thought they could uh, they could definitely find someone to uh, to no. deliver at his level yeah
2: you can't replace a guy like that that's what's so like you you'd be hard pressed to find a guy like PJ or <laughs> I was going to say PJ Tucker but what what Grant Williams has done is totally eclipse that cuz I thought that would be a really a really great um outcome for Grant Williams is to be a PJ Tucker is to be able to defend you know, I, I mean, Tuckers, PJ Tucker can defend one through five. And I think Grant Williams can, can do that. Um, And it would be, that's a really tough discussion saying who's better at doing it, but they're both pretty comparable, but PJ Tucker can't put the ball on the floor like Grant Williams can. And like Grant Williams is not, he's no Kyrie Irving, you know, he's not doing anything crazy, but he is a reliable um, slasher. And he can do, and he can do things off the dribble, but like find another guy like that at his size is positionless uh, defense. And at this time, at this point, like now he's progressing to even like playing, playing the wing position on offense. Like who else, who else is doing that at a high level?
1: And also don't forget that Grant Williams missed his first 25 or 26 three pointers to start out his career. So that's another uh, testament to how hard he's worked. And so it's been, it's beautiful, but you can't replace that. You'd have to draft somebody and have them, groom into a player like that which is super hard to do
2: yeah and i'll throw this out there too catch and shoot threes 45.6 percent on pull-up threes you're shooting 54.5 percent like those are
1: crazy I, numbers
2: i, I can't I, I can't even begin to like describe how shocking that is because like his shot this only became a development i feel like at what point like halfway through the year last season
0: like yeah you know it's I like actually say... okay
2: okay you can shoot
1: you can shoot yeah
0: very, very I mean, we, we were still all mesmerized in, a, in game seven against the Bucks. so I mean <laughs> yeah
1: <laughs> yeah for real
2: Let, let's throw that I, I gotta I gotta defend my, my statement from earlier and I and I didn't do all this research for nothing but in terms of the three-point shooting they're shooting 40 percent as a team from three they're attempting 41 threes per game that that's the insane part that's yeah. that's the insane part and they're they're shooting better than those two um historic warriors teams from this decade and basically you look back 20 years like nobody comes close to the amount of attempts like the the best three-point shooting teams are shooting like from the 90s like shooting 17 threes a game it's probably wide open because michael jordan is all the way in the paint going one on five Mm
1: -hmm.
2: so like they're they're shooting just a couple percentile behind those teams and they're taking like 30 more threes a game like this is i think by the end of season definitely best three-point shooting team ever um and that's, that's just, I don't know, that that's jaw-dropping. Jaw Do you want to talk some defense, too? Because I, I think we are overreacting a bit.
1: I would love to. Um, My first initial thoughts about the defense was, um, you know, this elite defense from last year, the number one ranked defense from last year. And this year, it hasn't necessarily translated. But, you know, looking at the stats, I still think that they're a top 10 defense. And with the addition of Robert Williams, they'll certainly improve. But I also think that, As the year moves along, they're going to start getting better with their defense, and it's just the way that the new NBA is. It's an offensive-driven league, and the Celtics, as you mentioned, has kept up with that, attempting around 41 threes per game. They're putting an emphasis on scoring. I fully expect throughout the year that their defense is going to improve, especially with the addition of one of their best defenders in Time Lord.
2: Yeah. I mean, and
0: they're look, not look at that last night. Last night the defense was was all there. They absolutely nullified the uh, the yeah. Phoenix Suns. They nullified Devin Booker, one of the hottest scorers in the entire NBA. They they're still the eleventh ranked uh, defense in the NBA, and then obviously their offense is just on another level. And it, you always know, like when, when Chris sent this on to me, we couldn't all, we couldn't all be all love and all everything's great. We had to kind of put in a few question marks, but. When you look at the defense, it, it, it just had that feeling that it was going to keep on getting better. Any given game, it was capable of stepping up and it was slowly going to get better. And they'll know that when it gets to, to crunch time and we're getting towards March and April, they'll want to have the defense firing on all fronts then rather than having it uh, at the top level now and, and possibly regressing.
2: Yeah, and I, I got I, I to gotta say that, you know, the it's, I feel like it's already changing the our, my perception of the defense, and I think what the reality is of their defense. Um, because in the past 10 games, that a uh, defense rating of 111, I put that I think that puts them around seventh, but right there in the top 10 defense. And that's again without Rob Williams. And I think a point to the game against the Nets too, uh, a few games back where um, you're facing Kevin Durant in the fourth quarter. In a close game, right in the game that they forced Kevin Durant to eight turnovers, and you know he's still. It's, it's funny whenever you talk about playing defense against Kevin Ray because you talk about a good defensive game against Kevin and he scores thirty on you. But it, it's it's in the way that you force him to score thirty on you, and
0: Celtics know how to deal with the uh, with Kevin Durant. You <laughs> do you remember the playoffs last year? Oh oh well, yeah
2: oh, oh yeah. <laughs> um, forcing forcing Kyrie Irving to thirty three percent shooting, and. They have all the tools. They have all the tools, and and as they continue to, um, to go throughout the season, I'd be curious to see what they, how much better they look with a guy like Rob Williams behind them. Um, but Tim, do you feel like they're playing defense a little bit differently? Are they scrambling more? Are they just a little bit lazy on rotations? Like, what what's kind of led to a slow, start on defense? I
1: I think that it, it's kind of to what Ronan was alluding to that. You know, each and every game, they're going to get better and better. So, um, you know, to start a season, some teams are rusty. Some teams are not firing on all cylinders. And this this team certainly feels like the longer the season is going, the more things are improving. What I did notice with the defense is that they generally start to ramp it up in the fourth quarter. So in crunch time, it seems like it's a lot better. But um, you got to acknowledge that Al Horford's another year older um without time lord there's going to be a big hole about a dominant big and tatum's taking a step forward jalen brown's taking a step forward marcus smart is who he is um and so i don't know if there's necessarily they're doing anything differently other than missing one of their top defenders in rob williams although that's not the best answer it's just my gut feeling and when he comes back i fully anticipate it to get even stronger
2: yeah, it, it's a big difference. I mean, what you can you can play so much differently. How much how much ball pressure you can put on the perimeter? Um, you know, you can play more drop coverage with Rob Williams. You can be a little bit more aggressive, knowing that there's a guy like there on the back end to to clean up any mistakes. You know, it's not just about the blocks, but it's about just. I mean, Rob, Rob Williams, I think, is such an underrated defense. Maybe he's he's appropriately rated to to most people now, but what he does um, as like a free safety on defense. On the weak side, just preventing anybody from getting in there, and everyone has him on the back of their mind. Like when he is on the floor, like he could be in the paint, and like the blink of an eye, like I, I think he's probably, I mean, Condra best weak side defender, best best help defenders in the paint. I think about him. I think about Draymond. I think about Giannis. Bam! Like he's up there in terms of like best rim protector, best help defender, and I mean, it's, it's probably right if they're top, top five defense if they're top 10 defense, like that's, that's, you know, do we get, do we get to the penalty question? Like, are they the championship favorite at this point? Is that, is that too much to say already only 25, 26 games in the season?
1: The, absolutely. Right now the talk of, of the nation is, is Tatum for MVP and can this team be stopped? And I'll tell you, they, they're, they're reminding me a lot of like the 2014 Spurs. They lose the finals in heartbreaking fashion and then they come back and they absolutely blow through the league. And in that year, the the Spurs had, I think they had a perfect month and this team feels like, you know, that's, that's very difficult to do, but this team is, is has the capabilities to be just like that. And if they're a top five, top 10 team in both categories, they're absolutely the favorite to win the championship. And, you know, a team like Phoenix, although they're, they're dominant in the regular season. You know, they're the team, they're a team that you think of out of the West who comes out of the West and they just they just blew them out by almost 40 points last night. So obviously we're 25 games in, there's still a lot of basketball to be played, but there isn't a team that is as well, well-rounded as the Boston Celtics. And their, their, their biggest addition is gonna be somebody who has, hasn't played in a few months from surgery and is one of their best defenders is probably their best defender. And so they're absolutely the favorites, in my opinion. And, you know, I'm not just trying to speak with some biases. <laughs> I'm think sure i think there's it,
2: no
0: bias. I think, I think it's probably fair to have a little bit of bias out of the Sands. But all right, let's put it this way then. The the Celtics are the favorites. I think it's very clear that when they've been the best team so far. Who's the biggest threat to them winning it all? Does it come from the East or does it come from the West? Who's the, Who's their biggest threat?
1: It's uh, The real NBA championship is going to be the Eastern Conference Finals against the Milwaukee Bucks. And so they are the biggest threat. They always have been and they always will be. And there's a huge drop-off from the Celtics and the Bucks. Whoever wins that series is likely going to be the NBA champion. And that's why the real championship is going to be the Eastern Conference Finals. And that's going seven games. I don't care how good the Celtics look. When you have someone like Giannis and as good of a team as the Bucks, that's a seven-game series, and that's why it needs to be in Boston. They need to be the number one seed. And just as good as the Celtics have been, the Bucs have been just as good. They're only two games behind them. And so that that's the biggest threat right there.
2: So, do you, right, could, Well, the, that depends on a lot. Um, we've talked about the Warriors a little bit. Um, you know, I don't know if it was the last year before that, but, and so do you for that. And do you think the Warriors' regression is real? Or is this just um, – early season was
1: it, it it's tough to say you know they're a great team at home but they're a horrible team away and so there you got to put some stake in both of those so if you can't be good at home and, and be bad away because you know nine times out of ten you know you're not you're not going to be playing that that pivotal game on your home floor and so i'm not sure if the regression is real obviously i have steph curry but i do think that clay thompson is taking a step back and Andrew Wiggins is not as dominant as, or at least he doesn't feel as dominant. So it's uh, it's 50, 50, in my opinion, but the real test will happen on Saturday night.
0: You watched that. Yeah, that, watch last night's game. It was uh, you, you, you saw a regression with that choke that they had.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Big time. It was unbelievable. Lack of defense from Clay Thompson and um, just a complete meltdown, but that's what the jazz are doing. And they're yeah. rolling.
2: I don't think that's a hot take though, to be honest, like you, if you look at the West, like how, how the Celtics would match up. Um, you know, I, I think I, I'm a huge, ever since the beginning season, I'm a huge believer in the Pelicans. I think they have not really put it fully together yet. And they're just starting to figure things out. I mean, Brandon Ingram has been, been hurt uh, a lot this beginning part of the season. Um, that's a team that I think could match up really well with the Celtics. And, and, you know, Zion is a, is a guy who could definitely um, be a bit of a game breaker in the way the Celtics are playing defense, but I mean, the, the the Suns were supposed to be another team that you know you you'd you'd put a lot of faith in them to match up well. We'll see what happens when Cam Johnson gets back, but um, this one is a side on the Suns. Like I, we expected to see more progression from Bridges and Johnson for them to be better, and that's not really that's not happening in a big way for for you to expect for them to be a big threat. But that, that's a big test. I mean, the, the Bucks are going to be the test. Um, the Cavs too. That the Celtics are are perfect against winning teams this season against except for the Cavs. And that's, that's a very, very quietly um, dominant team. I mean, they've, they've had a, a few, a few off, off nights here and there, but for a team that's just acquired a new star, still trying to figure things out. Like that's, that's another team. I think that that would be a great playoff matchup. I don't think the, the Celtics want to see the Cavs uh, early on in the playoffs. Um, but the Bucs, I mean, obviously. But do you not see that? I see the Cavs. That, that's potential there. there there's potential. You know,
1: like I, I know the Celtics have had two heartbreaking losses against the Cavs. But, yeah, it would be an amazing playoff series. But I don't see them as a legitimate threat like I would see the Bucks. And, you know, maybe that's just my lack of believing in that team. They're a great team. They're very well-rounded. And they definitely have the pieces to be a contender and a championship-winning team. But I don't see – I don't see the Cavs beating the Celtics in a seven game series. And I'm not sure if I even see the Cavs beating the Bucks in a seven game series. And so that's why, you know, although the Celtics have two tough losses against the Cavs, both were in overtime and both were by like one or two points. So I, I don't see them as, as high of a threat as I would as like the Milwaukee Bucks.
2: Yeah. That'll, that'll be the the matchup. And this Saturday, that, that should be really good to see how they, uh, uh, if they continue this dominant tour, if the Warriors continue to kind of disappoint, but yeah, I, I don't I really don't see if the stats prove it. Stats prove that the Celtics are far and away the best team in the league. No one's really standing up to them right now, um, except for a couple magical games with the uh, the Bulls and two magical games <laughs> with the Cavs. But Gosh. it's it's been fun to watch, man. I, I'm I'm really happy for you guys. I'm really happy to to see that this team stayed together after all that nonsense this offseason. Um, that could have derailed a, a team that's trying to get back to the ultimate goal. And yeah, it's it's cool season, to see them continue to build that this season.
0: I mean, it's always great. Absolutely. It, obviously, it's, it's great to have Boston back on top. It, like everyone always says, we know they're the two staple franchises. Obviously, the Lakers are struggling a bit. But when Boston and LA are in the conversation, they're being talked about, the NBA – the NBA is just better and at the moment at the moment the Boston Celtics rule but I think that uh, I think that's going to do it for, for today's episode uh, I'm Ronan Gain he's Christian Nambu our thanks to uh, Tim Thorquist who are joining us and talking all about the Boston Celtics um, long may it continue for them and to all of you thank you very much for listening and if you like what you're hearing please like and subscribe on all your favorite social channels, from Twitter to TikTok, we are everywhere at Coast to Coast MBA. And remember, take every shot and love every moment.